Hey, good morning. Welcome to the We Maple Video Show. Today you're here with Patrick Hanna, CEO of Enco Group, which deals in business development, financing, consultancy in the clean tech space. Patrick is the head of business at JobBridge Global Canada and is the director of marketing and promotions at IGS Canada, which is a company that manufactures environmentally controlled farming. Patrick's also an avid golfer and well-traveled man. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, thanks. So you were just out doing some golfing. I was. I was. Um, it wasn't the. Uh, I certainly wasn't paying a Mona Lisa out there, but it was. Uh, it was wonderful to get get out there in the heat with some friends and, you know, work on my tan a little bit. And so yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, I find golf is kind of one of those things. Unless you're a little bit good at it, it's really not that fun. Yes, no, absolutely. Especially if you're competitive too, right? I mean, it's. Uh, I was having a pretty poor round there one in the middle of one of these days, and uh, I was having a bad nine holes. And I turned around and I was staring at mountains, and I was looking at all this beautiful stuff. And I was on vacation with my friends, and I said, you know, I've got to just work on that a little bit, right? I mean, it's. Uh, it allowed me to it allows you to kind of slow down as well if you're able to do that. But being a, a hyper competitive person, sometimes it can be difficult. It's easier said than done. Yeah, 100%. It, it's um, kind of like, uh, well, skateboarding would be a, maybe a little bit more of an obscure example, but something more mainstream like snowboarding, where if you go out on the hill for your first day, you spend most of the time not on your board. Similar, if you go out golfing, you spend most of your time looking for your ball in the woods. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you're in Phoenix, you might actually have to dodge a rattlesnake, which uh, which ended up being more appropriate in the, in the, the last round we played. But uh yeah, it's a good metaphor for life, right? I mean, you want to, you don't get good at anything unless you're willing to fail. And I think that's something that's sort of missing here with a lot of people is, you know, you really, if you want to be successful, you've got to be willing to look very stupid at the beginning. And, uh, and if you're not willing to do that, it's hard to get to the, you know, to the apex and to reach what your potential is, right? Yeah, that, that fear holds a lot of people back. You know, you've, for example, in business, you maybe have one foot in, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur and then one foot in, I need a job to take care of my needs and taking that other foot and committing to being an entrepreneur can be a terrifying experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it, it does come across as not being safe. And, you know, I was having this conversation with, uh, with the lady friend of mine and, you know, yes, you've got security, you've got safety in your in your work, but I'm telling you, the people at the top of that business are terrified, and uh, they're worried about your livelihood. And I personally rather have the you know control over the the purse strings and know exactly what my risks are and what they aren't, as opposed to being hidden from those conversations. Because, you know, even the biggest companies can you know die in an instant, right? And uh, you see that happen all the time. And so you know, sometimes it feels safe, but it not it's not always the case, right? Yeah, the company could go under or just simply experience some layoffs. And if you're caught in that, what can often be a middle chunk, I know in our business, marketing and communications can often be one of the first things that gets cut. And yeah. you need to take care of your operations, finance and, and base level um, operations and, and the you know trim the fat, as they say. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sales is very similar, right? It's very performance based, business development. Absolutely. I mean... It's very, uh, you know, it's very easy to lose that position if you're not, it's very deliberate based, right? So, yeah, we're part of that. What do you think that, um, 
what is it, you know, in the nature of the kind of person that wants to go and kind of start their own thing? Oh, from my, you know, my personal experience, I would say it's, I'm generally quite difficult. Um, and I, I do see that little bit of a, everybody's going this way, I need to go that way type of thing. You see that a lot in people that just, that just sort of have that. I think it's people that always had a little bit of harder time fitting in and are generally quite creative. And uh, I, I do see that as a little, uh, a little bit of it, right? So. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about what you've been up to lately in business. Yeah, right now I'm focused on helping, as you mentioned in the in the intro there, uh, focused on helping a company called JobRich Global expand their business model into the Canadian market to help you know, solve some of the labor issues that we're having, particularly in the construction space and the, the nursing space and the hospitality. Uh, they work with, they have a, a deep network of potential workers out of Mexico and Central America that are looking to emigrate to Canada and to help fill that need. And you know, being here in Toronto with all these construction projects that are stalled and, you know, the housing developments we're trying to do that we can't do. And, you know, the fact that people just aren't willing to do that type of work, I saw it as a great opportunity. And uh, when I was younger, I worked in the trade space. And so I do have a deep affinity for the people like that do that type of work, you know, the the dirty hands and the sort of the, you know, the building stuff to completion. I have a, a deep sympathy for that. So we need more of those people here. And I was happy to be to help them. Is that a... Uh... When you say the, the kind of a labor issue there in Ontario for these types of jobs, is that a, uh, the rate of pay isn't high enough to support a particular lifestyle or is it just really hard work and why foreign workers are willing to do it or what's that gap? Yeah, I, think I can speak to when I was younger, uh, going back into high school. So I'm a mid-80s child, so going back into high school and the labor, you know, when they're talking about career development and this and that. You know, let's be honest, some of the trades work was kind of poo-pooed on. People didn't, you know, they're seen sort of as, a, you know, dirty-ish and, you know, wasn't well regarded. But here in Toronto, I mean, people get paid very, very, very well, but you don't get to, you know, dress nice. And, you know, you have to go to the bathroom in a porta potty and washing your hands while you, before you eat is sort of a luxury that a lot of, very few have. And uh, most people, they don't want to go out in 10-hour days and, you know, snow, sleep you know, into the, the heat, whatever it is. And, and so a lot of people just aren't willing to do it. And uh, so there's a dearth of skill out there and, and a dearth of that. And I think we're, we're missing that because that's, uh, you know, these are the people that build the country and keep things working. And uh, it's, it's really, really needed. I mean, I was speaking with a mentor of mine and there's, you know, one of the government ministers, was, he was speaking with one of them and they're talking about wanting to build a million homes in a certain amount of time. And I told I laughed because I was in a Home Depot the other day talking to somebody, and he said he was a uh, I think he did his trim or something like that. And he mentioned to him, mentioned to him he said it's a good day if everybody shows up, and uh, <laughs> you know for the amount of money they make and you know for the amount of work. I mean that you should never hear that, right? I mean it's, it's very strange. Yeah, that you know kind of makes me think a little bit about a generation or two ago say our great grandparents a lot of the um, people that came to canada you know in essence canadians aren't really canadians right like if you go back a generation or two they're they've come from another country and in a lot of instances you know that really took something courage bravery to just kind of hop on a boat and go and explore new lands for the hope for a better life and yet we have this comfortable um what we deem right now as comfortable and you know safe in some instances 
and that unwillingness to want to push boundaries. I don't want to get up early. I don't want to work long hours. I, you know, and that culture that has emerged sort of fits into the broader, um, what's that um, saying around hard times make strong men and then strong men make good times and then good times make uh, do you know that? Yeah, yeah. I think it's good times make make weak men, and I think it's a it's a perpetual cycle. And uh, you actually see that from. I think there was a, I heard the story about a startup and uh, going on in Seattle that was actually supposed to. It was designed to help the children or the grandchildren of billionaires not fall into the trap of drugs and uh, and you know severe you know severe mental illness because it does seem to happen the people that make the sacrifice as it goes down the line it. The wealth disappears and, you know, the, the strife that happens from the people that didn't have to work for it, particularly with drug abuse and what have you. It's uh, the fact that there's companies that are trying to build a, a business around that's quite, uh, quite fascinating to me in some ways. Yeah, I've had enough challenges with drugs and alcohol being borderline broke for the last 10 years, let alone if you already have some um, money and then you have some form of you know challenges or trauma or mental health or whatever it is and then you're you're in you're in that enabled sort of um atmosphere that just contributes to your use that you know it's so common that in multi-generational wealth planning the wealth that's accumulated after four generations is typically been has typically been extinguished and disappeared and it really takes something for a family particularly generally it would be the the men that are leading that planning and um that multi-generational wealth planning and you know it ties into those foundational values and if if those values aren't you, you know there's certain values that you can teach right like you can teach someone certain things but if you don't get an ephemeral visceral understanding of hard work integrity ethics trust if you don't get that viscerally through experience then chances are you're not going to really get what that means absolutely and um, and purpose and and uh, and sacrifice as well right i mean if you've never had a sacrifice and know what it's like to be to have nothing and then to have to take a chance and then to actually succeed and see, uh, you know, see the fruits of your labor. I think that's also a big part of it, right? I mean, if you have everything you want, you don't have that purpose and drive to go out and make it happen. And uh, without that, I think that, you know, stepping into that sort of abuse, drug abuse and what and alcoholism becomes quite easy, especially for a certain segment of the population, because, you know, the people need that, you know, you need the struggle, you need the struggle. Sadly, it's, it's important. Absolutely. Yeah, you've touched on alcohol a couple of times. And I know for me, that became a challenge, we'll say. That's a very serious challenge. And for many, it is. And, you know, if we look at even in the last decade, look at the dozens of highly influential uh, business people, entrepreneurs in Canada as well. Uh, and then in the States, I mean, there's something going on with culture, music, um, actors, uh, comedians, you know, there's this kind of pattern that has come about. And when you look into these things and, you know, all we really have in this world is independent research and intuition to discern what is fact or what is true. And based on what I've seen, um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know with any level of certainty, but there's, um, some curious things around, um, 
you know, entertainment um, and business that, um, you know, what we're told maybe isn't necessarily what is fact. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you got to think about what it takes to kind of get there too, right? I mean, you know, alcohol is there, but there's also the opiate epidemic that seems to happen in certain areas. I mean, my my hometown was very much touched by that and it's it's very sad and, you know, you see all these struggles and, you know, you hear about the stuff and, you know, all the, the actors that have been, you know, overdosed and, and all the musicians that have overdosed and all the drug culture and around that and, you know, it, it brings it down to this conversation around mental health and, you know, stability and, you know, sadly, I think part of the what makes them great is also what makes them sort of in that spot, space that's very, you know, it's very high risk for making those type of mistakes and going down that path. I mean, it, it does seem to be, there seems to be a link there. And, um, you know, you could probably link it back to some form of traumas that are trying to overcome that, right? And uh, if you didn't have that, maybe you wouldn't have your greatness. But if you didn't, you also may not have that, you know, potential for, for catastrophe as well. Yeah, 100%. There's... Um... Uh, Dr. Gabor Mate, who describes addiction, and he talks about uh, the ritualized, uh, habitual kind of comfort seeking, the um, and and the opposite being connection. That the opposite of addiction is connection, human connection, and uh, you know, and, and something like fentanyl. You know, a, a, a shoebox full of fentanyl is enough fentanyl to kill over a million people. These, yeah, these drugs are very serious and, um, you know, drug trade, that's a whole other piece, right? Like, um, yeah, let's, let's, <laughs> we'll stay away from that one. But it's very peculiar that these things that cause human beings so much suffering and, um, you know, keep our consciousness sort of at bay uh, are, you know, particularly dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Sadly, I had, uh, about a year and a half ago, I had a friend of mine who had struggled on and off with opiates and heroin. He ended up, uh, he slipped with a Percocet and it was laced with fentanyl. He died overnight. Um, so it's, you know, it's hearing that one Percocet shouldn't kill you, right? I mean, that's stuff you got to give, give an after a wisdom tooth and what have you. And, uh, so that's, that's quite sad. And, you know, and you, you know, you, you siphon that over to the conversation with psychedelics and, you know, the healing aspect that you can have. And if you ever watch those documentaries on one or two, you know, medically induced psycho or psychotherapy or psychedelic therapy, pardon me, um, sessions with people can heal you and heal your trauma for, for years, right? I mean, there's a couple Netflix documentaries on the impact of that and how hard that is to do. But how, you know, from my personal experience, I'll give you an example. I was in a car accident when I was 24 and... I couldn't get physical therapy, I couldn't get massage therapy, but God help you, I could get pumped full of morphine, you know, that was not a challenge at all, and, uh, you know, it really is, uh, you know, maybe sort of jaded with that whole sort of space. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, the quick fix, right, like weight loss, uh, anxiety, depression, pick one, and there's definitely clinical depression and serious mental health issues that they, you know, those exist, but there's also like jogging, eating healthy, meditation, just taking care of your self care. You know, why not try that out for a year? It's like, uh, this instant gratification. And sometimes when you're, you know, in a hole, mental health hole, which can feel like hell, you know, you're not just going to snap your fingers and a drug will do that for you. But long term, 
it's really about how do you design a healthy, um, well-rounded life that's going to replace those drugs. Yeah, absolutely, and that, uh, and we're not taught how to sort of go through that entire process. Fortunately, I was um, I had some help. I took a sabbatical when I was in uh, around 27 to get off those medications out in Australia. And um, I remember taking this one experience of just walking through the rainforest by myself. And I went from feeling sort of uncomfortable and sort of stressed out. And then after a walk in the woods, I was or in the rainforest, for example, I came back and I was so calm and I'd never really understood that. And so then this led this whole question or this whole, uh, you know, thought process of going through, you know, silence and, you know, just kind of experiencing nature and actually living a little bit and touching things and having a little bit of play and then what that actually does for you as far and the connection as well. It's, uh, you know, without that experience and what that ended up leading for uh, leading towards for myself, it's uh, seeing people not have that experience or not having that knowledge is, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, it's frightening because it's really some of those very little things that can give you so much more value and can help you get out of that, you know, playing a game of squash with somebody, playing a game of cards with somebody going and having just a random conversation about, you know, life and this and that and connecting with people and or, you know, spending time in nature alone and, you know, thinking about a couple, one or two problems that are, that are bouncing around your head and how much calm you can get if you actually go through that process. Yeah, 100%. There's a group in, uh, I think one of the most high profile groups out of Italy that does trauma recovery and addiction recovery. And, and their kind of model is based around, you know, working with your hands, whether that be in a kitchen or, or working in um, agriculture, gardening, that type of stuff that your connection um, to the task that you're doing is really transformative. And then also at the same time, being around others at the uh, simultaneous kind of piece is this very natural, organic, healthy way of getting healthy. Yeah, absolutely. No, I've never heard of that. But that sounds, you know, very cathartic and it's something that I've, I've actually done without actually knowing that I think it's just picking up a little project on the weekend or you know to say I'm gonna well no Saturday I'm gonna go spend an entire day cooking a brisket for my my, my lady and uh, you know I know I'm gonna feel quite good after that it's you know it's taking that time to really really work with your hands and touch things and you know get out of your get out of the year what are your problems or whatever it is for the day it's uh, no it sounds great yeah well um you know, what's going on in the world? What's going on in the world? Um, you know, it's, uh, I see a tremendous amount of people that really, really care and want to do good. And, um, you know, I, I think that does give me a lot of confidence, but I also see, you know, the mental health and the drug and all the other epidemics and the tribalism. It's quite scary at the same time. So trying to understand that dichotomy is, uh, is obviously a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, the um, bravery and courage of men, like generally, if someone 100 years ago was like, hey, do this, you'd at least um, have a choice to say no. But in a lot of cases, at least stand up for what you think is best. And, you know, something's happened to culture now where it's this sort of head down, yes, okay, go along with it, no questions asked. And, um, you know, I, I've, I've, through everything that's gone on in the past few years, I've always encouraged everyone to do what they think is best for their health. Um, and, but again, if, if you're not doing any research and um, you're not connected to your, your soul, you know, your own intuition around things, 
um, it, it could end up being particularly dangerous because even in the last, say, 50 years, you know, I work in the marketing space, ad agencies were hired by cigarette companies to sell more cigarettes. And they'd have doctors on the front of magazines encouraging smoking and that it's perfectly healthy. And decades later, we've now learned that it's not. So with everything now that's happening, if we take the case that in history, human beings have been known to lie, then how can we with 100% certainty say that anything that's been going on is true? Yeah, absolutely. The uh, seeing the people that just bent over and just took what big, you know, people that are generally distrustful of big business were so, you know, beholden to big pharma. And, you know, Pfizer, for example, is the most sued company in history. And just taking their word for, for you know, as gospel was quite concerning to me. I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying the vaccine worked or it didn't. I'm not going to get into that, um, you know, I think. But I think the fact that Pfizer was just kind of treated as given the sort of God status that they can do no wrong was also deeply concerning for me and how we just all were bent over for that was very, very concerning. Yeah, problem, reaction, solution, right? And there's um, a metaphor that I heard around tennis elbow that youth that grow up, you know, young kids that play tennis, both males and females uh, through their kind of early developing years and then in their 40s suddenly can develop tennis elbow because their uh, bone structure and the way that their ligaments were, were um, you know, tennis is such a high performance uh, sport with such a very specific um, part of your body that is being used to really strike um, and whatever um, is involved in tennis, but that it can take a decade or sometimes two decades for these things to emerge and without you know that it it's just very curious you know here in alberta um alberta's got one of the most expensive healthcare systems in the world and um i, I don't know exactly why that is it's something i'm curious to investigate further but you know i had my uh, daughter bro- break her arm and went in and they said, no problem. We see one of these breaks at least once a day. We're going to put her under with some ketamine and push it back into place. And as a parent, you just nod and go along with it. And so they do the whole procedure. Four hours goes by in the hospital. And then suddenly there's three or four doctors and four or five nurses crowded in this room explaining that there's a millimeter uh, offset in the way that they pushed the bone back in and that they recommend a surgery. And then so away we went up to a second surgery to actually put pins in the elbow. And I mean, I, I don't know with any certainty at all in that, in that scenario, but if, if we take the case that Alberta has the highest costs of healthcare, well, what's driving those costs? It, it almost, looking back now, is like, salespeople and uh coming in and and kind of oh you got to do this and then this and then this and it was like 12 hours later what is that fifty sixty thousand dollar expense to taxpayers and i want my daughter's arm to heal perfectly i don't you know i just take the yes and go along but 
like why why is it so expensive we're building now one of the most impressive high-tech um, cancer treatment centers in I think North America massive massive um, development and so like what are we gonna see an increase in cancer now like why why the um, so yeah I don't know in the context of what's gone on in the last hundred years with food and and the connection and the rise we see in ADD and ADHD and all of these you know m- metabolic and and heart so it, it's hard to discern with certainty anything no I completely agree and going back to my own story like I mentioned when I had a slight back issue that probably could have just been healed had I gone through physiotherapy, you know, the, the appropriate amount of physiotherapy and the actual physical, you know, physical, uh, you know, physical work, working out and all the other stuff that I would have needed, I probably wouldn't be, you know, at a point where I still have a limp 20 years later. But, and, um, you know, continuing that story along, back in 2018, I ended up randomly developing a bunch of food allergies just out of nowhere because I had a poor diet. Um, I was, you know, traveling a lot as a salesperson, so I was, you know, eating probably more takeout wraps that I probably should have and then all of a sudden I started getting all sorts of food allergies and is that the the glyphosate that's put in some of the foods is it this or that and so I basically had to completely do a restrictive diet for about you know two three years and it was absolutely horrible and what it did to me but going uh, afterwards you know the strength and you know the ability to cook all these new whole foods and to be able to live that way and to see what it feels like to actually eat real food is uh has been transformative but you know, the amount of people I see that don't have that are, are sort of slowly poisoning themselves to death and causing these health issues with just, with just what they're eating and not having any idea. I mean, what can we be preventing if we just focused on giving people the, the skills to actually know how to cook, how to source food locally and properly, and also to exercise properly? You know, maybe we wouldn't need that, can- that you know, million-dollar cancer center, right, or the tens of millions of dollars cancer center. Maybe we don't need that if we would just focus on it young and give people the skills ahead of time with the knowledge that we have. Yeah, uh, it's, it's a great business model, right? Uh, get get sick and then um, get your own, get the money that was paid for taxes to fix the sick. Um, like it, I don't know, it's, it's very curious why we don't live the way in which you just described. And, you know, I like getting pineapples, watermelons, strawberries any time of the year. You know, I like being able to go to any store and buy anything I want from Reese peanut butter cups to a tenderloin steak to scallops, crab legs, lobster. You know, I like that lifestyle. I want to have that choice. It's a tremendous gift that we have that mankind is, you know, the food systems have progressed to this point that we have this immense selection. But then what's that cost? of 20 years of great eating for then a shorter lifespan and then 20 years of treatment medications in your 60s and 70s yeah absolutely i mean i don't know what it was like when you grew up but i ate more craft dinner pizza pockets and you know pillsbury toaster strudels all pop tarts all this other stuff in a box that was just kind of chucked around and you know, it was just quick, easy, fast, you know, craft peanut butter is half icing sugar. And, you know, I didn't know what real food was and, until I was older. And, you know, luckily I, I caught it early. But if I was on, if I continued that path for another 20 years, I mean, you can guarantee you I would have had some sort of stomach cancer or something else along those lines. Right. And have no idea. And I've seen people that are older than me and my family go through that and uh, sort of what it did to them later on in life. And I was like, yeah, I'm not. 
you know, I'm just gonna eat the normal stuff now, and it may not always be delicious, but <laughs> it's uh, it's not gonna come with a cost later on because that, my God, seeing what some people go through with the, uh, you know, those types of cancers seems uh, is absolutely horrible. Yeah, uh, and well, it's back to that being proactive with your health and um, a healthy lifestyle is the um, investment versus reward in, uh, you know, eating, say, quinoa and vegetables, you know, five days of the week as your main intake of calories and some fruit um, versus if you ate fast food five days a week at the convenience and maybe it's cheaper. And uh, but what is that? What is that long term cost and um the i mean just looking at the data it's it's pretty clear that um what's happened to to culture and to humanity you're absolutely right i was having this conversation with someone when the when quebec was about to introduce the tax on people that didn't get vaccinated and he was talking about how much he kind of liked that idea and i said okay well you eat fast food and i don't you smoke and i don't i barely drink I, I take the extra time in the morning, my own time to work out. I, I eat mostly local food, which is more expensive, and I cook my own food. So I take about, you know, two, three hours extra every day to put my own health into my own hands. And um, so where's your tax? You know, I don't want to, I'm not going to use the health care that you're going to use based on your decision making. So he, when he stopped and thought about it, he's like, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, like where's the tax? Like diabetes and heart disease. I'm, I, well, you know, we as, um, say we took the case that we're healthy. Um, we're we're as healthy people, and we're paying tax for people that are unhealthy. And I mean, I I like having the snow plowed, and I like the streets getting cleaned, and my garbage being taken away. I think taxes are a tremendous thing, municipal, provincial, and federal. I think it's it's a it's a good thing. It's just where's that line between what goes from a good thing to to a bloated, um, what could be considered a bloated administrative kind of, um, not, uh, you know, complete mess of inefficiency. And um, I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. And, and, and then in the context of the whole earth, it's like, really, are, are all these governments really, are we all separate, you know? really like if if um if i if my family bloodline 300 years ago accumulated a ton of wealth um you'd want that family bloodline to maintain that power and control um you'd think yeah absolutely i mean Let's be honest, you would, of course. I mean, the reason I work hard and one of the things that I keep in the back of my mind when I sacrifice is that, you know, I want to, at the, when I'm, you know, walking around with some limps and I can't really make it, I want to see a big family knowing that, uh, that their lives are easier because of some of the sacrifices I made. And that's something that I keep going with myself, right? And that's something I look towards. And it's the reason I do, I have sacrificed what I have sacrificed and, and it's bearing the fruit that it is, right? I mean, that's, that was the goal. You know, I'm also going to teach them that giving back is also a big part of that because when you have something, you you know, it is in your, it is in you, you should have to give back as well and uh, find a way to do that. And that's where you're going to find the meaning in life and which can save away some of those potential, you know, pitfalls that come from having, you know, affluenza and mental illness and lack of purpose and, you know, addictions and all the other things that could come from that. You know, that's how you save that off. But getting back to the, the tax conversation, I mean, taxes can be a force to, to drive good behavior, right? 
And um, so right now, as I was mentioning, I'm sort of disincentivized to do what I do. I do it because I, I want to, but it's actually more expensive than it would be if I just, you know, didn't work out and, uh, and didn't eat well and sort of just lived off boxes, right? I mean, so it can be used like that. And, you know, some of the things that we're doing with the carbon tax and, you know, some of the, the income taxes, I mean, it's, it's disincentivizing people from doing things that could actually help us when tax, you know, the tax code could actually be used to drive the behavior that we want and give people more autonomy as well, which is actually, I trust people to spend their own money better than I do trust, you know, the government to spend it for them. Yeah. And well, then that begs the question, why, you know, um, and it's um, curious that there's certain um, individuals in the world that say certain things. um, And then the people that um, maybe participated in certain um, activities are then um, the ones that are making decisions for countries that are connected to um, certain things. And um, again, I, I don't, I don't want to speak in certainties because I, I, I don't know anything. I know that I'm some form of consciousness having some form of experience on this earth. And um, with the way that artificial intelligence has progressed and um, deep fakes and the audio and the, the things that I'm seeing that are front facing public, you know, th- there must be a much more advanced, sophisticated version of everything that's public. And so if that's maybe true, I mean, are a lot of these, um, or could potentially a lot of these um, human beings or headline, you know, the, the, like, where's that boundary of what is real? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And um, some of that deepfake stuff, I saw that ChatGPT just uh, hijacked someone's a daughter's voice and ended up making her uh, think that her daughter was uh, kidnapped and um, got a ransom out of her. And it was just uh, the ChatGPT was just doing that, uh, faking her daughter's voice. And so imagine being a parent and you get a phone call that your daughter's been kidnapped and it's just a deepfake. That just happened yesterday. That's horrifying because in the context of... Um you know, political uh, in for votes and um, in the press and the media. And now every, everyone's so hyper-connected that in an instant, if um, certain companies or individuals wanted everyone in the world to know about something or think something, it not only is was it before it's in your living room, but now it's in your um, palm of your hand um, and soon to be, you know, in your body. And so the boundary between, um, you know, reality, artificial reality, virtual reality is shrinking. Uh, Ray Kurzweil talks about the singularity where he anticipates that mankind will merge with machines. And in a certain way, we already have. We're sort of a form of a cyborg where we're carrying this device that at any point we can find out any information we want. We can order and access anything we want immediately and you know that's exciting the future of that where if it's if it's connected to your mind and you can just know everything like you just think about a google thing and it's in your brain already i mean that's looks like where things are going if it's not already here um but that's cool um where it's not so cool is what that could potentially be used for yeah absolutely and i mean you talk about 
you once you put those tools in the world, someone nefarious is going to use it to their advantage, and uh, it's going to blow it all up. Unfortunately, that's just the way humans are. Someone like a, a Stalin or a Mao or someone along those lines is going to find a way to use that to their advantage, create a message that that works and that scares people sufficiently to give it up and to, to follow them, and then boom, you know, then there's no going back. And those are the type of things that I, you know, keep in mind as you know, I try to keep my eyes on history as much as possible so that, you know, I, I'm keeping, you know, I understand what can potentially happen here and a lot of the times these good intentions, the good leaders that come in, they always leave these great systems and then it always gets taken advantage of by some nutter and, uh, you know, that's the one thing that I do have the most concern about and, you know, I do personally look forward to the day where I can actually get rid of some of this stuff and then just grow some food and, you know, have a much more deep connection with uh, with the world and the planet and, you know, the water and the trees and all that other stuff because that's what, that's what drives me personally in the future because I just see this stuff getting a little bit out of control and, you know, also not having the ability to control your own money and have, you know, physical contact or physical cash and all this other stuff and what, you know, the ability to control the money flows that could happen with this digital currency. You know, I see a lot of this stuff is quite concerning. Um, even with the benefits. Yeah, 100%. And there, uh, there's certain countries that have um, tested out certain types of uh, digital currencies that, you know, for example, expire and um, can only be used to purchase certain things. And um, in the context of some very public information on some websites of some particular kind of unelected um officials um, around what maybe could happen in 2030 and um, private property and these things if that is being tested and then they're being or being told um, what is coming you know it's just something to maybe keep looking at and and if we take the case that maybe there um, is more to our experience as human beings that we can only see a certain amount of things percentage um you know you mentioned plant medicines earlier these are things that have been used for tens of thousands of years and um you know your pineal gland when that when it opens up like you're you're open to uh frequencies and energies and things that are around us and so one of the you know karmic laws is that if you're going to do something to someone and you tell them that you did it, you're uh, removed from any accountability for that karmic law. And so when we're being told what they're doing, or they, whoever, you know, this is what we're doing. And, and then you see it happening. It's just, I, I don't know, like if I didn't already have kids, I would think really intently and and be you know really exercise some discernment on what you know what's the world going to look like in 20 years and is that is that a, a good place yeah absolutely the uh you know the conversation about losing the ability to have private property and own things and uh and all the control that they can have if they you know i think we're talking about the same today um, control your purse strings and what you can buy and you know what you can trade for it it removes the entire you know what makes humans human is the ability to I have a service you've got cash you want the service this is the price we shake a hand and we do it and um, you know this is mine this is yours we can trade we can barter we can share you know I uh, you know I grew up in a small town so one of my favorite you know stories about growing up there was that there's three farms each farmer owns a million dollar piece of kit 
and they all instead of all three owning three different or you know each owning one for themselves they share so one guy has a plow one guy has a mill one guy has this and then they basically just all plow each other's fields and use the one piece of kit for everybody and they share it's all just done in a handshake and it's time for time and you know that working together i think that's we could potentially lose that and uh, i think that's what makes humans humans right i mean it's the handshake and the the sharing yeah i i mean the um connection between charities and large organizations is um it's there and um you know going into some um call it mainstream places that serve coffee uh now there's like a tap to donate you know and uh going through drive throughs it's often um you know the, immediately the machine and so we're, we're already you know currency is already digital the idea that there aren't hard assets or that there are still hard assets is unless you have cash or gold or diamonds or silver, you know, for the most part, everything's already digital anyways. And so, um, you know, I, I welcome the advancement of that, but just where that boundary lies of um, like, are, are we going to be locked out of our own bank or, um, and, and asking the questions almost kind of like a, like just dumb, to ask because look at what happened with the trucker um, situation in Canada and um, you know I'm all for like the boundary of things being said or done that aren't um, in integrity and the right ethics but it seems like oh hey like let's just cut people off from accessing their money it seems a little bit horrifying that if everything's tied up in digital then we don't have any thing to fall back on. Yeah, that, that uh, the amount of people I know that weren't deeply concerned about that is actually one of the most terrifying things that I've seen over the past few years. I mean, the fact that these people that were protesters, you know, whether you agree with them or not, getting shut out of their bank accounts and, you know, going against the government, having the government basically lock them out of life and destroying their credit rating and destroying a lot of that vehicle should not even be there. And the fact that it is and people didn't care is uh, I find deeply concerning. I mean, just look at what's happened through, through history. I mean, it doesn't take much for things to happen. And uh, that, whether you agree politically with the truckers or not, you know, first they use it with against the people that they, you don't like, but eventually it gets used against you. And you can't be, you just can't be good with that vehicle, whatever it is. I mean, that is, that should, that should be carte blanche. Never, no, government can't shut off your bank account because they don't agree with what you protested. Imagine that happening to the LSD-inducing, drug-inducing hippies back in the Woodstock days. Imagine what, if that happened there, all those people lost their, you know, fighting against Nixon, lost their bank accounts. You know, I mean, we, we glorify those protesters, but we don't, we crap on these ones. It's, uh, you know, you may not agree with them, but if people are standing up for what they believe and fighting for, that's what this, you know, the West stands for. And, um, you know, it, it, it disgusted me, actually. Absolutely, it did. Yeah, and somewhere the culture's changed where it's just, it's not, what's not okay to ask a question anymore. Like, you just, just by posing the question like, oh, is this safe or, oh, is this right? And, and oh, conspiracy theorist. And... Like, again, I don't I don't know with any level of certainty because I just have my intuition and research. But based on the word conspiracy theory of where that word even is and what it even means. And it's like if you even say it, then you're then you're it. And like, I I don't so I don't know, like with what we're doing here with Maple, like we 
want to kind of exercise the right discernment that we don't end up like having videos taken down or that we cross boundaries because the you know these platforms are so incredible the social media is, is such an incredible tool that's here for us and um, if we take the case of everything we said as maybe being true then this conversation there's some advanced ai computer software that's running through keywords and then knowing everything about us already our bank accounts our credit history where we've worked where we've walked every Thing we've done and that this has been in our pocket for the last five years has been recorded somewhere in a data farm and there's some computer somewhere that knows more about me than I probably know about myself knows more about you than you know about yourself and maybe that's true and maybe it isn't but if just if we took what's more likely or less likely I'd be on the side of that's more likely so if if that's maybe true then you know who or what is got that information because if there was a threat to overthrow the government like just saying that right now flag like goes into some system the the way that if you're on the phone and you say certain words that you know that but if that maybe exists then then who or what is controlling that system and um, back to the kind of thing if there were um, certain um, bloodlines that wanted to have um, certain um, control You'd want to stay not forefront, right? So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And even if the, the the people at Google and YouTube and Facebook have good intentions with your data and they're not using it for nefarious purposes, it doesn't mean the next person isn't or the person that could take it over or you know something bad happens. Once those tools are there, they can be hijacked. And so that's always the part that concerns me is that you know maybe these people are good, maybe they're not. But if the tool's there and, you know, your phone knows everything about you, that's incredibly valuable to someone who, you know, it doesn't take much. But if there's that one person who wants to do bad things with your data, they can. And they can shut you out of everything right now. And, uh, you know, we've got to keep our eyes at least on that, you know, keep ourselves guarded. you got to guard your six at least a little bit. Yeah. Well, why do you think it's important that we kind of remind ourselves of the freedoms and values that we have today? Well, I mean, you know, my girlfriend always makes fun of me because I watch a lot of World War II documentaries and uh, I see that, you know, you know, Nazism, communism did not have as many people associated with it that you would actually like to think, you know, 10% of the population has been able to take over more, you know, been able to take over and control the most people. I have a friend of mine who's an Iranian immigrant, and he told me it's 10% of the people there that uh, that actually agree with the government, and the rest follow suit, and they, you know, they can't do anything. They're being killed in the streets, you know, hanging gay people and all this other stuff. So, you know, that's why I think understanding why, you know, the West has, you know, has its flaws, but it also has its strengths, and, you know, it's done, and, you know, the rule of law, the handshake, and people do what they say they're going to do, and that, um, and all these other things with the, you know, the truisms and the foundations that are quite, it's beautiful what it's been built. And, uh, you know, the influence that it has and the fact that people are fleeing, are going all over the world to try and come here and to try and, you know, take advantage of these values. And, uh, you know, I see it being cropped on, you know, all over the place, you know, cruel patriarchy, white privilege, all this other stuff is just so divisive and negative and, you know, what we've been given is an absolute gift and the stability that we've had over the past 80 years or whatever it is has been since world war ii is is rare you know you look back you know through history peace is not normal 
And it's no, and the reason why it's normal now we've all lived that is because of the values that we have and people, you know, have followed it. And uh, we lose that in our peril and um, a little gratitude for what's been given to us would be nice. Yeah, 100%. And uh, if we look at Canada as, uh, what is it, the fifth uh, largest oil reserves, I think, or third, and then one of the largest top five, maybe three of fresh water, and then all of the other um, incredible natural resources that were gifted here. And I mean, of course, the beautiful landscape. Um, if there was someone or, or some entity that like Canada's a prize, right? Like you, you'd want to keep that close to the vest, almost like no wonder pipelines didn't get built, like keep that oil. That's a precious commodity to be controlled and saved and stored. There's certain countries um, that, you know, cut down their lumber and put it uh, in special sheath and then put it in the ocean because they're concerned about lumber being short in 100 years. And so they're planning 100 years ahead, 200 years ahead, these certain governments. And, you know, I've just noticed and observed in, in our country, the you know, our elected leaders or really anybody that has a voice. Nobody's asking the question like, well, where is Canada? Like, what is Canada? Who are like, where are we going to be in 100 years, 200 years? You know, our, our culture and our values are all mushed, which is great. We're very diverse and that's all a beautiful thing. But the fundamental vision for our country seems to be that there isn't one and that there's maybe someone else, something else that's actually got some more control here than than we know. Absolutely. And it's uh, and it's terrifying. And, you know, the things that we've been able to accomplish with the peacekeeping and some of the, the negotiations we've done globally and fighting in the war, the world wars and standing up for good and, you know, being that voice and uh, doing things sustainably. I mean, we do have the natural resources and, you know, for a time, you know, some of the, there has been some bad with some of the exploitation that's happened there. And I think, you know, we're trying to do right with it and all understanding that we have to maintain our prosperity or, you know, we lose that ability to be a voice globally. And, um, you know, I think the world's better with a strong Canada and, uh, you know, a rich Canada because then we have more to give and we can have more to share. And uh, as we go around the world spreading what we have, I mean, we lose that again we lose that at our peril and sure we've done some things that you know probably shouldn't have happened but you know right now the right now it's beautiful and uh you know we need to really understand that we can't hate what we've done and who we are as a people and uh, and really you know chop ourselves off at the knee and um i just see that happening too much in the young people and not having an understanding of what we've done and who we are and uh i think it leaves us rife for, uh, for the picking for bad ideas and uh, for negative ideas because I just see that coming. And, um, you know, I think a little more appreciation for, for our forefathers and the sacrifices and this and that would be, uh, is duly needed. Yeah, 100%. And um, with, with, you know, you mentioned currency going digital and then as human history, you, you mentioned World War Two. you know, that within a generation or two, it would be, easy if there was a desire to um, have the next hundred years people think a certain way by just basically manipulating history like it's not a new thing that books were burned that human history was changed that things were 
the way the United States was found, the way that, you know, in Canada, take our Indigenous population and the story that we're told in elementary school about, oh, and, and even into, into junior high and parts of high school about, um, you know, the European settlers coming here and, and becoming friends and doing trade. Um, but meanwhile, what actually happened was, you know, taking over, putting um, diseased blankets into certain and, you know, but in other parts of the world, they just go in and slaughter and take the land. Like we sort of half did that here without, you know, a full takeover. And then now we have this, you know, incredible social issue. And, um, you know, war has been a part of mankind. Like I want to take what's yours. That's like inherently who we are as are as some, you know, the Romans that war that, you know, these things is a normal part of human history and like it would just be so easy to to just lie about what happened to just change history and if it's digital you could just click a button yeah absolutely and they're doing that with even roll dolls getting rewritten dr seuss is getting rewritten to make it wokeified and all this other stuff i mean you know the signs are there that this kind of stuff is happening and and absolutely shining a light on what you discussed, the disease blankets and some of the other stuff, you know, what happened to the Chinese and the railroads and, you know, the the residential school issues. And, you know, I had a friend of mine who was, went through that and, and this, the destruction of that culture is, uh, is absolutely disgusting. But I don't see anybody alive today that likes it or wants it. And, um, you know, Canada has become a, a, a good place, a beautiful place for the most people. And... Um, like you said, if that were another culture, if that were somewhere in the Middle East, or if that were somewhere in Africa, it would have gone a lot worse. And uh, so acknowledging the mistakes and acknowledging the disgusting aspects of what happened, but also tying it to sort of the good that's been done outside of that and after that. And, uh, you know, yes, that happened 150 years ago, but we also liberated Holland. And there's a reason why we got tulips every year for 60 years and, uh, you know, kicked the Nazis out of Holland. So. We did a lot of peacekeeping in other countries that were dangerous. And, you know, there's a lot of, it's muddy, but it's true. And, um, you know, we're on the right trajectory. And uh, I don't see us getting worse and going back down that path. And if we, I think the only way we get there is by not, uh, you know, rewriting history and just only focusing on the faults and the negative side of it. Yeah, you, you mentioned, you know, Stalin or, or certain Iran or these these different places and um, where maybe the, practices of government weren't optimal we'll say for freedom and um it's like imagine if they had technology right like that's where if it's already in our pockets and then a generation from now our youth are gonna put it in their body because it's who wants to carry a phone when you're just connected all the time like that's actually rad right like you're out at a music festival and you just blink and take a photo and text it to your friend like that um, if it's not already here somewhere, somehow, then that is where it's going to go. And that that's cool. And that's particularly exciting and connecting us in a whole new way that will accelerate mankind beyond what we could ever imagine. I just have those concerns that if men in particular don't have the integrity and ethics and courage and bravery and the things that are known for men to have and like we need women we need like what like women are the most incredible and powerful be they give birth to a human right like how amazing are women and but 
the way that we need women, women need men to be a certain way and do certain things. And, you know, there's some really excellent Canadians, Jordan Peterson being one of them. But I could count on one hand how many strong, masculine, brave men are out like public figures, for example, that are encouraging and inspiring and showing what it means to be a strong man of high integrity, high ethics, and honest. Like, where are these public figures? Pick a cartoon on Netflix that's been made in the last few years, and their male characters are non-existent. They're sometimes a robot or they're a, you know, a bug or like an off kind of turquoise color that has no sort of masculine traits. And so if that is maybe happening and we put it in the context of, well, why is it happening? How come in the 90s you turn on a cartoon or take Power Rangers, for example, that it's like, oh, there's like the red and the green are the like masculine, strong, brave male characters. Put on a cartoon now and, and try and find strong male masculine characters they're they're not there so like where'd they go and why no i uh, i completely agree and i'm uh, i'm a huge fan of jordan peterson and he's done you know unimaginable things to uh to help me to, me to take the next step in my own personal life and you know i love one of his quotes i believe it's i can attribute this to him or someone that's in his network is that he talked about you know women because they have the you know the gift and also the responsibility of childbirth they have to grow up but for men it's a choice and I just see a lot of men aren't taking that choice and they don't see a reason to take that choice. And, um, you know, those, the positive male role models are few and far between, especially, you know, I always make fun of the modern family. Um, you know, Phil Dunphy is just this goofy beta male and, uh, you know, sure he's funny, but you know, where's the guy who's going to keep the wolves at bay and, uh, and do it in a, you know, calm, sensitive, but strong and uh, integrity based way, you know, Bravery is one of the most beautiful things out there, and uh, bravery and sacrifice and, uh, you know, quiet stoicism. And um, I just don't see that replicated anywhere, and, and Peterson, you know, giving voice to that is quite good. And, you know, it's the way we were taught growing up is that, you know, drive is a negative, is a cancer, you know, trying to, you know, be successful is a cancer. Being masculine, you know, the Gillette commercial, the toxic masculinity, well, well, boys will be boys. I mean, just destroying what makes men men, it's no wonder that, you know, we're... We don't have that out there, and uh, we lose again. We lose that at our as our at our peril because the, yeah, the women need that, the country needs that. I mean, you know, being you know my ideal sort of in a in a nutshell for for what a, a strong capable man is. I love this picture is uh, is a tattered up, jacked muscle man, walking with his daughter's hand in a in a grocery store wearing a tutu, a princess tutu. I mean, that's you know how I see it in picture form. Is that yeah? He's strong enough to you know do all the other stuff, and he looks capable of violence. But he's wearing a tutu with his daughter and holding her hand, and uh, I just love that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a trait that um, it, it's like like we we ran off of boats into war, right? Or even the example that we used around a generation or two ago that our great grandparents got on a ship and came across the country to an unknown future and that bravery that to, to to do that and then now someone shows up and says you know put this substance in your body and um untested and unproven substance and you, there's not even a, a question and uh again i you know I've, i encourage anyone to do that what they think 
is best, but it, it, like, what, like where is critical thinking? You know, some of the things that I want to teach my boys, like how to uh, swim and uh, defend yourself, fight, and how to critically think. Like, and that is is less common than than maybe we need as a society. Yeah, I completely agree. And um, you know, I love one of the things that what Peterson brings up is the mythology around it. So it's like a generation of you know the Peter Pan and the Lost Boys. They're sitting there in Never Neverland, and they just refuse to grow up. And um, you know, they don't have that desire to. And uh, we're taking that from them, and we're losing an awful lot of uh, what could be offered there. And uh, yeah, there's some bad parts of you know an, un, uh, an untested or an un or a male who doesn't develop himself can do some can do a world of ba- uh, poor or bad, but. You know, we can also do a world of good as well. And, uh, you know, we're only getting the one story, unfortunately. Yeah. And it scares me, to be honest, because, you know, we need that. We need that strength and that ability and that drive. And uh, that's how we move forward. And the desire to sacrifice, you know, the, the call, you know, the, the hero's myth, for example. So what's next for you? What's next? Um, so we're launching a, a large solar project here in Ontario. Um, that looks like it's going to go and... Uh, take off here so it's going to take up a good chunk of my time and it's uh, hopefully get married and have a start my own little family here shortly and that would be ideal and uh you know build my house and build get myself some property so i can have uh you know have some connection to a place to build things and uh, grow things and uh and teach my uh, my kids how to uh how to do these type of things you know and balance out that uh balance out the the nature and the the building and all the the tactile stuff with how to live in this world and you know take advantage of all the gifts that are out there with the ability to share and travel and all this other beautiful stuff that's out there and you know connect with people around the world and so that's that's gonna part of the next goals here for me yeah i mean what two incredible goals do something really innovative in the kind of clean tech energy space as an entrepreneur it's going to you're going to you know make your own way create jobs innovate and then start a family like that's that's um i really acknowledge you patrick for for that because it's a tremendous contribution to society to start a business and create jobs and in something that's good for our our environment and have a family you know what what great goals and um yeah, it sounds like you need, um, you know, world-class marketing company to support you with your. Uh... Well, that absolutely, is true, and that's uh, that's well received. Absolutely, and uh, no, I appreciate what you're what you're saying. And you know, it took me a very long time to get there. I was definitely a late bloomer, and I definitely spent a lot of time steeped in vice and avoiding the the responsibilities. And you know, to take it back to the Peter Pan story that I was bringing up, I was definitely one of those lost boys. Love playing video games and not doing anything value. And, uh, you know, having the, you know, having my drinks and going out on the weekend and doing absolutely nothing of value, getting up at 10 and, you know, to be able to move forward now where if I'm not, if I'm up past 10 o'clock, it's, uh, that's a crazy night for me. And, uh, to be able to actually, you know, have the ability to raise a family, the desire to do it and be with the right person to be able to do that, but also to know that I can handle it, you know, in a responsible way and actually, you know, give back and give them the right tools. It took a, it took a long time. It took me a little longer than most, but I think, um, I'm where I need to be. And it took, it, it, it was definitely a meandering journey. So looking back, it's, uh, it's interesting to look at. Yeah. That story with your injury and the, um, 
opiates and that kind of piece is in a, in a way has been a or maybe you'd perceive it as sort of a gift because now your um, you know intuition for your own self care as you enter into like really into the business world when you when you talk about building what you're building that's going to take something as the leader of an organization to know how to manage your health your self care your emotional mental well being you know when you're going to lead a team and and be the leader of not just one organization but multiple you need to to take care of yourself and it's the same way we're we're saying that visceral ephemeral kind of understanding about what is integrity? What are at the right ethics? If you don't learn viscerally how to take care of yourself, you, you, you know, you've already learned. So you're set up for maybe the next decade versus halfway through hit alcoholism hits you and you completely spiral away on pills as you're in the middle of building this incredible business, right? You're absolutely right. And it comes down to that foundation and setting that up, right? And, um, you know, I always... It took me forever to understand what feelings I was having and what they and how to sort of get over that. And, you know, sometimes I need to be around a lot of friends and have a bit of play. Sometimes it means I need to sit quietly and just read a book for for a day and just, you know, maybe go walk in nature. Sometimes I need a builder to cook something. Sometimes I need to just, you know, work really hard at something to get whatever's in me off my mind. And learning how to do that will also eating properly and, you know, building the, you know, the proper foundation for a, for a healthy lifestyle. I mean, going back to my accident, I was very, very jaded and I, you know, I hated the medical establishment. I hated my doctor for a time there. And I sat there with myself and I said, I downloaded my entire health and well-being and responsibility to someone else who's got, then that's not their job. My health is my job. And I took it off them and I put it on me and I saw it as my problem to solve. And, um, I haven't gone back to the doctor since cause I don't really need to, but you know, my health, my well-being, and my personal, you know, mental, physical health is all my responsibility. And uh, so I was just had it framed completely incorrectly. Yeah, what a gift and what uh, an incredible set of values to be able to pass down. Um, you know, with, with God's grace, you'll you'll have that family and be able to, to instill that in your kids. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll pray for that for you. And uh, hey, I, I want to just, you know, thank you. This is an early um, project for us. We had identified, call it 2,500 CEOs globally that we uh, thought were leaders in the kind of uh, clean tech environment, kind of entrepreneurial space. And you were on the hit list of our uh, admin at the time, adding, you know, 1,000 people on LinkedIn. And then we were experimenting with uh, DMs and um, different times of day and uh, a written DM versus a video DM, what gets responded to, who ignores it, who opens it, who doesn't, who accepts the request and work to collect this data to actually use this tool LinkedIn that I have had for 10 years and for the two or 3,000 connections, don't really know any of them, don't like wouldn't be able to tell you if they're married, have kids, what exactly it is they do in their business. And so it was a real experiment for us to um, to start to build real community, to start to actually connect with other people and meet them. So, yeah, thank you for generously uh, providing your time. And I am curious if you um, if you remember the message when I first reached out, if you remember what it said or, or what was it or why did you want to uh, connect with uh, myself and with We Maple? Uh, 
I do remember you reached out and you talked about having a podcast and, a, you know, trying to focus on Canadian and entrepreneurship as far as what I understand. But it was a, it was an intuition, um, generally speaking. That's something I'm usually quite, uh, I follow quite heavily and I put a lot of value on. And it just felt like it was the right, uh, you know, that we could be friends and we could connect and there could be a lot of value that we could give to each other. And uh, so I appreciate your message. And, you know, I, I, that's basically what it was. It's like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is our project and we're starting a podcast. We'd love to have you on. And uh, it was a direct message, and yeah, it was. Uh, I said, "Hey, what do I have to lose?" Um, and uh, you know, in our first conversation, I could tell that it was just like having a coffee with a friend, and uh, you know, it was nice and warm, and you know, it was really, I really valued it, and uh, so I valued the opportunity to come speak and you know, work with other Canadians that are trying to build community, which is something I'm very big on, and uh, you know, that's the the positive side of the the social media aspect is that we grow our communities and we grow our our you know, community of uh, like-minded people. And um, it's it's really is the benefit that we can have here, and uh, and it's something that's desperately needed. And it comes back to that conversation we we're having about connection. And uh, you know, if you see yourself and other people, and you connect with other like-minded people, then you know it's uh, the world becomes smaller, and you start to um, you know it gives you a little more strength going forward. And I thought that was quite uh, quite attractive to me. Oh, that's rad! Thank you for that um, acknowledgement. And uh, I have a request, which is. Um, our next guest, I think, will be either uh, Estonia or uh, Croatia. And um, I'd like to uh, introduce our next guest uh, through email and then uh, ask you to please take the microphone and the uh, tripod uh, and mail it to our next guest. Thank you. And um, yeah, with that said, uh, where can people? Fo- Oops, go oh, ahead. Sorry. A second, I will be in Calgary, and I uh, I look forward to having a, a coffee. I'll be in there in May uh, to have a couple of business meetings there. So I will uh, I will look you up. Well, you add a business meeting to the list because you need a high performing marketing company for your all your initiatives, right? Absolutely, we do. Absolutely, and someone that has uh, shares our core values is people too, right? And it's all about. Uh, family and connection and uh and doing right and one of my business partners that i work with is he's irish and we had a, a very important business uh you know meeting with an investor at the beginning of the year and uh he tried to kick out half the company and then just take him and go forward with about a hundred million dollars in investment and just fund his company and he said no nah, not doing it see you later you're the wrong partner <laughs> and uh so that's the kind of people i work with and uh, and and line up with and people that whose souls can't be shaken and uh, sold. And uh, so I see that in yourself and, um, you know, working with more like-minded people that have a similar core value and similar core principles is absolutely part of my life. Oh, that's, that's an awesome story uh, with the investor and that um, integrity that that takes. And that, that, that knock that comes on the door one day, when you get to a certain level, generally the knock will come and to be able to maintain the ethics and the um, way of being as a certain kind of man in that scenario, that really takes something. It's, uh, it is hard, you know, I've had to uh, have had some of those myself where it's like, well, you know, I'm choosing between my shareholders, my people and everybody else that have trusted me and invested in me and, you know, giving them a short term win. But uh, ethically, I think in 20 years, we'd all regret it. And uh having that conversation bounce around your mind between infinite success and, you know, future freedom versus the ethics of the decision and, uh, and how you see yourself when you're by yourself later on. And also taking money out of people you really, really care about's pocket. It's, uh, 
you know, it's uh, it's not easy, and it takes a lot of work to get yourself to that point. And uh, I think it ties really heavily into the conversation we've been having and the values we have. Yeah, got it. Well, yeah, thanks again, Patrick Hanna. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at uh, jobbridgeglobal.com. LinkedIn is, uh, you know, LinkedIn at Patrick Hanna is where you'll find me mostly. Uh, anchorgroup.ca is uh, my consulting practice and, you know, in the clean tech space. But to be honest, I'm not a big social media guy. I, I don't have Twitter, Facebook or any of that other stuff just because for me it just doesn't, you know, that's why I need a marketing firm because I just don't, uh, I haven't personally, I get sucked into some of the, the bad conversations and I, you know, you read things and it just kind of, even through scrolling through LinkedIn can be poisonous at times for, for your perspective. So you want to look me up, I'd be happy to, to reach out to anybody that sees value in the conversation we're having on LinkedIn and that's probably the best place at this point. But uh, Excellent. So what I heard is arrange a Tesla to uh, pick us both up, uh, film the whole thing. Uh, and take a rip out and see some Alberta uh, landscape. And uh, maybe play a quick 18. A, w- a quick which? A quick 18 holes. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll swing the sticks. No, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll drive the cart, though. That sounds great. And then we'll, yeah, I, I would love that if that's the way it is. And I'll bring my Irish associates because they, uh, they add a little more, co- if you know much about the Irish, they add a lot of color to every conversation. And, uh, you know, it would be, it would be, it would get you some uh, some good following out there because it would be entertaining. Oh, that's tremendous. Our our main associate or my partner here, he's from he grew up in just outside of Dublin, so it'll be a hit. So yeah, stay tuned for uh, episode you know seven or whenever this happens on We Maple because uh, Patrick and uh, I will hit the skate park and go and swing the sticks on the links. Absolutely, I think I would embarrass myself as much on the skate park as you would on the uh, on the golf course, perhaps because I. Uh... I lack that skill, but I would try for sure, as long as uh, I had a good helmet. <laughs> right on, Patrick. K. Okay, man. Well, have a great weekend. Thanks for connecting. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been a great time, Matt. Thank you so much for the time. Yeah, you too. Peace.